Manika, where are we? We are in the budget lockup in the Westin Hotel in Ottawa. We're on the fourth floor of the Westin in a conference room. It's a, well, it's a big conference room, and it's you can hear there's announcements going on in the background. Uh, it's basically filled with rows of tables with journalists. Everyone sitting at the tables looking at the budget documents. So they've just been released, so everyone is just getting their hands on them for the first time. And they're going through this either this physical document, which is basically like a little booklet that they've got, and they're going through and basically seeing where Canada is spending its money. Let's go. Let's go get in line. So there's a whole bunch of information here that we need to, as journalists, a bunch of journalists are going through it right now, and we're going to talk to some people to help us understand exactly what's going on in here. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and this is The Decibel. Could you introduce yourself, Phil, and tell us what you're covering today? Sure. Hi, Manika. I'm Bill Curry. I'm the Deputy Ottawa Bureau Chief, so I'll be working with Bob Fife, the Bureau Chief. We're writing the, the main story, kind of capturing it all, wrapping it all up for, uh, for readers. Wonderful. And was there anything in the budget today that, that surprised you? Well, I think the big question is we've had some stories recently in the Globe of Bay Street, especially some CEOs of the big banks, really getting on the case of this, on this government for not doing enough on growth and fiscal responsibility, balancing the budget, having a plan to balance the budget. And so I think Christopher Freeland's response is sort of, it won't outrage anybody, but it's not going to please any, everybody either. There's, um, you know, the deficit is shrinking and the debt to GDP is on a downward track, so that will please some people. But I think... Uh, those pushing for kind of traditional economic factors like uh, growth agenda and, and fiscal uh, restraint, a clear, faster path to the deficit, will be disappointed at the pace that it's it's still a fairly big spending budget today. Okay. And last month, of course, we heard about this, the big liberal NDP uh, deal to basically come together. What evidence of that deal do we see in this budget? Is there anything that is geared towards NDP policy or NDP priorities? Definitely. There's the over $5 billion for the dental care program, which is very significant. That was not part of the Liberal platform. So since they had announced that deal, we kept asking the health minister, is this going to be a federal plan uh, as the NDP wanted it to be? Or is this going to be a dental plan run by the provinces? And would that involve negotiation, just like child care, we got to sign a deal with every single province. And so in there, it says Health Canada is going to run that. So that's, that's a big piece of news in this budget, is that this is a federal dental plan I can assume, based on uh, comments from Quebec, they will not be happy with this. They, they were upset with the NDP Liberal deal because they saw it as an intrusion on provincial responsibility, healthcare being a clear, obvious one. So I can anticipate there's going to be a bit of a fight over this dental plan with the provinces. So Bill, what is the significance of today? Why, why is Budget Day an important day here? Well, I think a budget should be taken with a little bit of grain of salt because this is essentially a promotional document. This is like a gigantic press release. This is stuff they are promising to do over the next five years in terms of spending. And we've known from our reporting over the years and many other people's reporting, sometimes that doesn't materialize. You know, uh, we had a story just a few days ago. The 2019 budget had billions for housing, all kinds of new programs. And when we look back, you know, maybe 10% of that ever got spent. So this government has a tendency to make big promises 
And then you got to really watch the follow through, whether that happens or not. Um, yeah, I guess it's a, it's a way of the government presenting itself to Canadians as well. Can we think of it like that? Absolutely. And we were all kind of surprised when we got our hands on the book because it's actually a lot smaller than last year. And last year was an election year. So it was even more of a promotional document. It's almost like you get your hands on this and you realize this is a government that thinks now with the NDP deal that they can stick around here for two or three years. They can they can relax a little bit and just talk about traditional government stuff rather than filling every chapter with a bunch of fluff about what they've done over the last few years. So. Uh, In that sense, it's a a little bit more of a traditional budget this time than perhaps the last couple of years. Great. Thanks so much for talking to us, Bill. See you, Monica. So I'm Mark Rendell. I cover uh, Bank of Canada, macroeconomics, interest rates, that kind of stuff. And so I'm looking at the big global economic backdrop to the budget. What did you see that was the most interesting or something that stood out to you? The thing that jumped out was uh, one of the senior... uh, policymakers who was presenting the budget kept highlighting the fact that this is happening in a moment of extreme global uncertainty. Um, And the budget, you know, presented one kind of main pretty rosy scenario of what might happen to government debt over the next couple of years. But it also presented a couple of alternative scenarios, you know, what happens if oil prices do go way higher? What happens if central banks hike interest rates, um, you know, much faster and get to a much higher level than uh, a lot of people expected. You know, that's going to have a big impact on uh, the Canadian economy, uh, the global economy as well. To start, could you just introduce yourself and and what your role is here? I'm Rebecca Young. I'm a director with uh, Scotiabank Economics. Today I'm supporting the Globe and Mail and interpreting the budget. And so recently, in the last few weeks, last little while actually, when we're talking about economic stories, inflation is a big thing that we think about. This is a huge issue in Canada right now. When you look at this budget, what is it doing to to help this problem of inflation? The federal department has asked uh, people like ourselves on Bay Street, what do they think will be the inflation economic outlook? And that was asked in early February. So certainly a lot has changed since then. For example, they assume inflation will be 3.9% this year. Scotiabank has 5.9% uh, in its assumptions right now. I think the average Canadian really wants to know, okay, I'm hearing about inflation, my grocery bill's going up, all those things. Is, this, is there anything in this budget that's, that's going to help them there, that's going to reduce those costs? There's not a lot in the near term. The things that have been announced are fairly targeted. There is, for example, a one-time top-up to the Canada housing benefit. So these are Canadians facing housing affordability challenges, but that's a very narrow subset. That would be a $500 check one-time payment for those Canadians. So there really isn't a lot there, but we do have to keep in mind that provinces have recently announced a number of measures. We've seen the $500 checks in Quebec, we've seen uh, fuel tax rebates or, or cuts in, uh, in, in a variety of provinces, including recently Ontario. But the challenges in you know, Economics 101 is that you provide uh, more resources, more money to, to Canadians, and they go out there and they spend that. And that you know, spending competition for limited goods and services pushes up the price in theory. So in theory, you would normally say when inflation is high, when labor markets are tight, when wages are accelerating, that you don't pour money, more money into the economy. The tricky situation is, is that there are some Canadian households hurting. So it is definitely a fine line to walk. And that's where you really look for measures that are laser focused on the households that really need the support right now. 
can you start just by introducing yourself and saying what you're covering today in the budget? What are you looking for? Sure, yeah, uh, Steve Chase. I'm a reporter with the Globe and Mail in the Ottawa Bureau, and I am covering defense spending. And of course, the context of the background to this right now is that uh, sort of the, the global crisis that Russia's uh, military assault in Ukraine has caused has prompted many of our allies to really boost spending. Germany in particular did a massive pivot on military spending, increased it by about, oh, I would say about like 120 billion US. What we've got is $8 billion Canadian, spread it over five years, which works out to about like 1.6 billion a year, not that much. Really, we're talking like a three or 4% increase in spending. Uh, so nowhere near our, our, our promise to NATO to, uh, to, to spend 2% of our economic output on uh, military. That would require, in fact, an increase of about $17 billion. So I'm comparing $1.6 billion to $17 billion. Did that surprise you, Steve? Or did you think we were going to see more money for defense spending? I was trying to get my head around the fact that this pressure for more defense spending had only really... Uh, manifested itself in the last couple of months and that's very late in the budget planning cycle so I was quite intrigued by how the government was going to deliver on this uh, with relatively short notice because really it's much it's Russia's uh, full-scale military assault on Ukraine that changed the equation and that of course was only 40 days ago there's 500 million for Ukraine there in the budget what is what's that gonna do this is is a first-year commitment it's all happening in the fiscal year that began April 1st and ends next March. We don't know what that will include, but the government has promised to go out and actually buy equipment uh, because it's acknowledged it doesn't have any more in its stores. So who knows, maybe some Javelin missiles to take out Russian tanks. Right now there's, as you know, the feeling with the Russian retreat and retrenchment to Eastern Ukraine that uh, there's, a, there's a feeling of optimism and the feeling that we want to help Ukraine as much as possible continue to defend its territorial integrity, and they've been very successful with anti-tank weapons, and there's an increasing need perhaps for anti-aircraft weapons as well. Great. Steve, thank you so much for chatting. You're welcome. I'm John Ibbotson. I'm writer-at-large for the Globe and Mail, and I'm writing a column on immigration and the budget. And this is not your first lockup, John, right? How many of these lockups have you been to? I had my first lockup in uh, 2003, and it's so it's been about 20 years, yeah. Wow. And how is this lockup different from lockups of the past? The budget itself is now telegraphed in advance. Um, so in the old days, you had to, if you wanted to go to the washroom, a security guard would accompany you to the washroom in case you surreptitiously tried to pass budget information on to somebody. Um, wow, now you just, you can, there's internet here today. You can, you can, you can go on the web uh, and you can leave this lockup. So it's not really a lockup at all. I mean, as long as you go home and promise not to tell your spouse what's in the budget. And so you said you are writing about immigration today, John. What is the big thing that you saw in the budget that, that you want to write about? Well, the immigration numbers have been previously announced. There's more than 400,000 people who came in here last year, more than 1% of the population. And I believe the target is for 450,000 um, a few years from now. There isn't any country in the world that is taking in immigrants at the level Canada is taking them in now. More than 1% of the population is astonishingly high. Um, and there's $4 billion over five years uh, to help with that settlement. And that's that's good news. That's important money um, because otherwise the, the, the lineups and the queues uh, would have people languishing for years. So it's good to see that. 
How many people are in this room? I'm trying to, I'm trying to do a, like a quick count. Like a hundred? Does that seem right? Yeah. If there's a hundred people in this room, um, I would say that 20 years ago there would have been more than 200 people in the room. Although, um, again, because of um, COVID restrictions, it's now possible to sign on uh, from your home. So it could just be that there are people working from home. Great. John, thanks for chatting with us. My pleasure. So Rachel, you're not actually in the physical lockup. You're in a virtual lockup. Can you just introduce yourself and what you were looking at in the budget today? Hi, I'm Rachel Younglai, and I'm the real estate reporter for The Globe. And I was looking for any new spending on housing, for housing, and any new measures to help first-time homebuyers. And so what did you find in this budget? Did you find any of those things that you were looking for? Yeah, there was a, a, quite a bit. Um, I guess the main thing was the uh, $4 billion housing accelerator fund. They said that they want to double construction, double uh, new home construction over 10 years, which is huge. Right now, we're, they said that we were averaging about 200,000 new homes a year. And so they want to double that to 400, nearly 400,000 uh, in 10 years. It's, it's, it's huge. Wow. And so what does this mean then for the everyday Canadian, Rachel? Like, is this going to have a significant impact for people in their everyday lives? I don't think people will see or notice the difference right away because it'll take some time to get this accelerator fund up and working. They also announced other measures uh, to help first-time homebuyers. Again, they're very specific and targeted. One of them was to create a tax-free savings account so that first-time home buyers could save for a down payment. But we're not going to see home prices drop significantly because of this. Thank you so much for, for chatting. Oh, no problem. This budget invests heavily in economic growth, in making our economy more productive and more innovative, in expanding Canada's economic capacity. It's 3.30 now, so we have half an hour until the embargo lifts. We just came from Christia Freeland, who's the finance minister, who's delivering the budget. She spoke to journalists, and now we're just going back to the lockup room and basically waiting for the embargo to be lifted. So this is kind of crunch time for a lot of journalists. People are writing frantically. Um, radio, TV people are also getting ready to go. Um, so there's, there's a lot of action. There's a lot going on. So I'm Catherine Blaisbaum, and I am The Globe's environment reporter. And... Were you looking for anything specific in this budget when you came to it today? So the environment spending, much of what we're seeing was largely telegraphed in last week's emissions reduction plan. But there were some big spends that we were either waiting for the details on or are just brand new in the budget. I want to ask you about that emissions reductions plan because that was big news when it came out last week. We heard a lot about carbon capture in that plan. Is there something about carbon capture then in this budget? Yeah, so uh, everybody who's in the environment realm and oil and gas sector is looking to this budget to better understand the government's vision for its carbon capture utilization or storage tax incentive program. So basically, just to explain a little bit, um, carbon capture facilities, they force carbon dioxide emissions deep into the ground or into concrete to keep them out of the atmosphere. And um, it's a key part of the Canadian oil and gas sector's plans to lower emissions while still enabling them to produce fossil fuels. 
So what we are seeing is a uh, $2.6 billion program over the next five years. Is that a significant amount and is that going to make a difference? It's definitely a significant amount and it is in line with what industry was asking for. Um, the new tax credit will use a sliding scale to cover 375 to 60 percent of eligible expenses and industry had been asking for I think 75 percent but um, I think they were kind of expecting closer to 50%. So this seems sort of in line with that. The emissions reduction plan that we talked about earlier detailed $9.1 billion in spending. So this $2.6 billion is actually um, in addition to that. And so what else is in this budget in terms of climate spending? Sounds like there's, there's a lot of money being put towards this year, but what else is it going to go towards? There's also um, a creation of a new investment fund, and that's called the... Canada Growth Fund, and it's going to be an arm's length investment vehicle, and it will be capitalized at $15 billion over five years. And the money is not new spending, it's actually being reallocated from other federal funds that weren't spent otherwise, but it's still a, a big chunk of money. There's also going to be a rejig of the Canada Infrastructure Bank's mandate. And something that I think, you know, the average Canadian will be interested in is uh, some of the commitments related to zero emissions vehicles. And, and what are those commitments exactly? You know, vehicles that Canadians love to drive, the vans, the SUVs, the pickup trucks, those sort of more expensive electric vehicles will end up being covered now under a broadened rebate program. We just don't know yet what that cap will be, and we don't know whether the current $5,000 rebate uh, maximum will increase as well. So um, Transport Canada is getting $1.7 billion to expand it, and they will be um, providing details in the weeks to come. So the finance minister, Christopher Freeland, was, was calling this budget a bit of a green transition. So we've talked about carbon capture. Is there anything else in here that's going to help us transition away from a dependence on oil and gas? Yeah, so one really important piece of the budget is that Ottawa is phasing out what are called flow-through shares. And these allow public com companies to transfer to investors certain exploration costs. And so the phasing out of those flow-through shares is described as kind of a, a move that is part of the government's efforts to eliminate federal fossil fuel subsidies. Great. Thank you so much for speaking with us, Catherine. Thanks for having me. Um, my name is Christy Kirkup, and I'm a reporter in the Parliamentary Bureau, and I am specifically a reporter who covers uh, Indigenous affairs, amongst other things. And what I went into the budget looking for was the extent of the government's commitment around Indigenous housing, because this was a major policy push ahead of the release of the budget. And, and what did you find? So um, the Liberals have earmarked $4 billion over seven years uh, for Indigenous housing, and that does include some specific um, announcements around First Nations, Inuit, and Métis housing, to be clear, that, that captures different commitments under kind of that umbrella. And I think it's important to point out that this is funding that falls far short of what advocacy organizations were calling for ahead of this budget. What I mean by that is the Assembly of First Nations, they specifically look at First Nations communities and what they're hearing from uh, First Nations leaders. And they had actually called for a $60 billion uh, commitment on housing, 44 of that saying that that needed to flow immediately. And then they also had um, an ask around another $16 billion uh, with 
respect to kind of trying to address population growth by the year 2040. So a big gap there in terms of what the government actually put in in the way of money and what had been asked for uh, ahead of this budget. Christy, thank you so much for taking the time here. Thank you. I'm Patrick Brethauer. I'm the tax and fiscal policy reporter for The Globe. So not surprisingly, I'm covering fiscal policy today and how that's going to look this year and next year and in the decades to come. And when you looked at the budget today, what really stood out to you from the things that you were looking for? It was interesting to me that the the budget and the senior government officials that were walking us through it really did seem to have a good beat on the big problems we're facing, uh, low investment, low productivity and, and that threat of a future that's really low wage and you know our kids and grandkids being you know worse off than than we are so a good beat on the problem but very little in the way of solutions that would actually boost productivity boost business investment and and create a high wage sort of prosperous future and so i guess overall takeaway with this then would you say that there were some things missing from this budget that you would have liked to seen to actually see us better that situation Sure. So Rebecca Young at Scotiabank, I thought, described this wonderfully, that it was a spend, tax, and pray budget. So spend a lot, tax a lot, and then just hope hope to God that something happens that turns in your favor. So, for instance, on small business, you know, there was an increase. It's a bit technical, but an increase at the threshold for which small business rates apply. So that's great. If you're just, you know, a big small business, you get a tax break. Super doesn't help you become a larger business, doesn't help you become a global champion. You know, there's some, a promise of an intellectual property review. Well, that's nice, but what are the policies right now that would encourage someone who's thinking about where to set up a company that's going to invent the next generation of electric vehicles? What's the framework that, you know, that person will be able to capture that value, keep it for themselves and for Canada, not in the budget, just sort of kicking the can uh, down the road? Uh, talking about the national economic space and bring, breaking down trade barriers. Well, we'll do a review of this. There's been a review since 1867. You know, there, there's no lack of understanding of the problem. So kicking the can down the road, no bold action. Is that a surprise for you? Did you expect to see more there? Uh, it's not a complete shock. Um, if anything, uh, I guess the surprise for me is that there is an acknowledgement of the depth of the problem while still really lacking any concrete action to, uh, to, to, to deal with those problems. Still, maybe that in itself is a first step, understanding the problem and then, and then eventually acting on it. It says, the embargo does not lift until we give the signal in this room. So we're waiting for the signal. It's supposed to happen any minute now. It is, it's 4.07, so it's supposed to lift around 4, so we're a little overdue. The embargo is lifted, no embargo and envy. No barco, and the embargo is lifted. All right, let's get out of here. All right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got it. We got it. Yeah. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman Wilms. A special thanks today to the Globe's Ottawa Bureau for hosting us on this budget day. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. And thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.